a great song. Isn't that a great song? Thank you for that. It's a great clip, too, because we do have to deal with this thing. It's a tough issue. Um, I think the thing Steve talked about, we've all dealt with that many times with coaches and so forth. Uh, and then it just gets deeper and gets harder. And you, you get people telling you, you had people of influence or of influence in your children's life telling you, telling them things, and you're thinking, okay, what am I going to do with that? Then you have people who come to visit you who may live in situations that you may not think is right or you may not approve of in one way or the other or, or to come stay with you for a few days. What do I do with that? Whatever that situation might be that you may not necessarily approve of. Uh, then, and then you got, you got kids every day, maybe every week, who, who want to tell you about some show that they want to watch, whether TV or movie. Uh, that uh, their friends are watching, and then you do the research on it, and you look it up on screenit.com, which is a good resource sometimes, and, and you look at that, and you go, well, I don't know that this is something you ought to see. And then they say, well, so-and-so sees it. And, and then automatically you say, you know, and this is, this is the tough part. This is, this is the tough challenge in my communication to you today. Then automatically you say, well, that's not what you're going to see, not in my family. And by doing so, if you're not careful, you've already caused them to think, why not? Well, whether you say that this or not, oftentimes what gets communicated, well, we're better than that. We're not going to do that. And that's not what you want to communicate. Not a better than type of message. And then it goes on, video. Kids come over to your house with your kids and they have a video they want to see. And same type thing. Or, 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 or now we have video games, of course. And uh, there's some video games that I uh, became more aware of. I always wondered, you know, when I started seeing, they started rating video games. What's that's all about? You know, what, how bad can it be? And then I saw a couple. I whoa! I see now why they have ratings. Okay. And then you, and, and inevitably, if you have a kid with a video game, and there's some one of their friends has this video game. Well, so and so plays it. I mean, this thing goes on and on and on. And the question goes on, the answer is pretty simple in this regard. For me and my house or for our family, this is what your mother and I or your father and I have made the decision. That's easy. Okay, we can do that. But then the hard part comes in because how do you do that and keep your child or your, your well, your daughter or son from making some sort of a judgmental, um, if not statement, at least thought, about this other friend or family. And, and you don't want to do that. Because that's, you don't want to do that. You don't want to make judgments upon others. So that's sort of the problem. That is the problem. So here's what I want to do. I, I'm just going to show you two things, just two things today. And I'm, I'm, I, don't have a, I don't have a formula for you to make this determination. Um, you know, you're going to have to think. You're going to have to talk. You may have to even pray about it some. But I'm going to try to give you some guidelines to help you through some of that. And, and the two things I want to give you. The first one is this. We do, and this, may, this first principle may sound like, uh, uh, as we talk about this whole thing of building values without judgment, this first principle that I'm going to give you may sound a little weird coming. If you know me at all, been here more than once, you, it may sound weird coming from me because you know I don't like rules. I hate rules. Um, there's a lot of reason for that. I'm sure some of it is some child psychological baggage, but a lot of it has to do with theology and just the fact that I've seen all my life so many times people think that if you follow certain rules, somehow you're going to become more acceptable to God. And of course, that's just not true. It's not in the scriptures. It's not what God's, not God's 
feelings on the matter. And, and so I don't like rules, but at the same time, I want to give you this principle because I believe it's in the Scripture, and I want to talk about it in a moment, and that is this. We need principles to govern our lives. We need principles to govern. We all have them, whether we have sat down and looked at them or written them down or talked about them. We all have certain principles that govern our lives. God knows that. God gave us some. God gave us a lot of different ones. I, I, can, I can think of some that he gave us very clearly. Let's just look at a few of those. Maybe, uh, maybe, some of these, maybe this will ring a bell with you. One of them that he gave us was, do not worship any other gods besides me. That's a pretty good principle to live by. Another one was, don't make any idols of any kind, whether in the shape of birds or animals or fish or money signs. You must never worship or bow down to them. I just threw in the money signs, but we can worship that. We can worship that because we, I want to make that relevant. You say, well, I don't have any problems worshiping any animals. No, but how about that bank account? How about that prized possession that you have, whether it be a house or a car or plasma television or whatever it might be? Right? We can make a lot of things idols. That's not a problem. We're able to do that. And here's the thing about these commandments. You know where I'm headed now. You know these are the Ten Commandments. Here's the thing about the Ten Commandments that's so important for us to understand. And that is, Jesus really elucidated on this in the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and in the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew, Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And he elucidated in this way. He said, for instance, you have heard uh, that it was wrong. You have heard that you should not murder. Jesus went on to say, but I tell you, if you hate a person, you have murdered them in your heart. He says, you have heard that you shouldn't commit adultery. I tell you that if you lust upon a woman, you have committed adultery in your heart. So he elucidated to show us this. The Ten Commandments are not just letters of the law. They're also, it's, it's not just, it's a spirit too. It's a spirit of the law. If I, I haven't bowed down to any, any wooden idols anywhere in my life, never been a temptation to me. Never had a problem with that. Never seen anything that I thought, well, I want to bow down and worship this. But I have had, and you have too probably, more than once, priorities got way out of line. Where something became much more important to you than it should have been. And you could make an argument that you practically worshipped that thing. Or that, whether it be money or cars or houses or whatever it be. So keep that in mind as we read through these. He gave another one. Uh, third one. What's the third one? Don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not, be, will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. These are in the New Living Translation. So some of these are going to sound a little different maybe than what you memorized if you memorized them as a child. Number four, remember to observe the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God will give you. Kind of a neat command. Number six, do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not testify falsely against your neighbor. Number ten, don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's car. Don't covet your neighbor's whatever. One of the things that's interesting to me, and this isn't my message this morning, and I'm not going to go there very much, but one of the things that's always interested me, and there, there has been a lot written about this, when you take the Ten Commandments, and especially some of those commandments, out of, out of Western civilization, I mean, what, you, have, you have utter chaos. Can you imagine 
what might happen if you lived in a place where do not murder wasn't the accepted thought? Where there was no value of life? Can you imagine living in a place like that? Where you could take, people could take each other's lives and not even think about it? There are places like that today in this world. Some could make an argument that maybe Iraq at one time might have been like that. We try, as we as, we as Americans and allied forces try to bring some civilization, whatever you may think of the war or whatever else, if, if that brings some civilization to a value of life, that would be a good thing. And one of the things is do not commit adultery. What would happen if, if there wasn't... Now, I know, I know that, that that happens, adultery happens to a lot of people. And uh, Hey, listen, I've broken every one of these commandments in, in spirit, at least, just for the record. But can you imagine living in a world where adultery wasn't considered an anathema, where adultery wasn't looked down upon? Can you imagine living in a world like that? There's a world like that right now in Africa. This week we were at the National Prayer Breakfast as I go down every year in D.C. Charlene and I go down, and, and I, I used to work with that group before I came here and still do just a little, just, just a grunt, basically, and uh, try to help where I can. But uh, well, our main speaker was Bono. And, of course, his, he, uh, he was... His, his passion is Africa. And, he, and, he, and he, it was very interesting. He made some great points. Uh, and you can look up online. You can see the whole speech. I'm not sure exactly where to find it, but you can just punch around and do a search on a National Prayer Breakfast. It was this past Thursday. And, uh, but one of the things that he talked about was how, how in this country, we, we, they, those of us in the group that he has setting up to, uh, to fight AIDS and so forth in Africa. And, you know, it's just, just a little insert here. Okay, it's just a little side point. Um, he made some amazing numbers. talked about how in the tsunami... As many people were killed, and I can't remember exactly what the numbers were of how many people were killed during the tsunami, but that number is the same amount of people that die every month in Africa from AIDS. And he made the point that some people think, well, it's a choice. It's a lifestyle that they have made. Is it the choice of children? Is it the choice of wives who have been faithful to their husbands their whole life? And yet in this society, husbands will have up to 100 wives immorality is not at all considered any kind of a big deal. It's, not, it's, it's accepted. It's accepted. And as a result, AIDS is spread everywhere. I mean, that, that, so my, my, one of my points, and that's just, it's, it's just a horrifying thing to think about, and it gives you some understanding of some of the, and the president was, was I appreciated what the president had to say because he said, here's a man who is using his, using his uh, pulpit, so to speak, to do some real, some amazingly good things than any he is, and I, and I respect that greatly. But here's the point. Maybe God knew what he was talking about when he said, don't commit adultery. Maybe God knew what he was talking about when he said, don't murder. Because when you, when you lose just those two things, you have civilization just collapsing as we know it. It's an amazing thing when you think about it. These were written very early on in the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, um, the Ten Commandments. Um, so my point is, is we need principles to govern our lives. God gives us at least ten of them. There are some other things in the New Testament that we would call in the Greek uh, imperatives. And, uh, but by, because the New Testament was written in Greek, an imperative is a command. 
We have many of those in the, in the New Testament. Do this, do this, and there's a few even imperatives of prohibition. Don't do this. One of them is, you know, don't worry. That's an imperative prohibition, you don't, something you're not supposed to do. So we have many more in, in, in the Bible, and we need to think through those things. And those are the issues that, that I don't really think there's a lot to argue about. We need principles to govern our lives. Now, I say that because of this. then how do, we, how do we deal with the person who comes along into our life and they don't have any principles? How do we deal with that person? And how do we do that in a non-judgmental way? Um, let me show you something else. Here's my, here's my question I'm going to ask. It's really my second thing, and that is this. How do we keep these principles from turning us into judges? How do we keep these principles from... Uh, how to avoid becoming a judge, basically, is what I'm talking about. Now, let me show you a passage that Jesus talks about. It's in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to go from here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Don't pick on... This is in the message uh, translation, and I love the way this is worded. Don't pick on people. <laughs> Jump on their failures and criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. I love the way they word that. Do you... Do you <laughs> Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. It's a passage in another Bible that reads, don't judge lest you be judged. It's a more illustrative form from the message. Here's the deal. We usually have two extremes, at least in the experience that I've had in life, and, and uh, it, just think through this. We usually have two extremes. The one extreme is what I call the no-judging, no-values crowd. They're the ones that, well, we can't judge, we can't judge. Jesus says, don't judge. And they have no values of their own. And I look at some of the things in the news, and I look at, obviously troubled person in Texas who killed their own children, and I say, that's wrong. Well, don't judge, I'll judge, that's wrong. And the Bible says that's wrong. Now, I don't know the details. I, I have to believe there's some kind of a mental thing going on here. I have to believe that. And that's when we get into the judgment part if we're not careful. Well, then that person needs to burn or that person needs to whatever. You know, and I'm not going to say that. I don't know the details. I'll just tell you the action's wrong, clearly wrong. I don't know that I even need the Bible to tell me that, but, but it does say it too. So we have this crowd who says, well, we can't judge, and they have no values. And then we have the other extreme. There's two extremes here. The other extreme is, and, and, and this is the, the, the strong values, total judgment crowd. They have strong values, and anybody that violates that in any way, oh, they're wrong. They're wrong. They're going to burn in hell, or they're going to, or something, you know? And, and so, and neither one of those are an area where we need to be. We need to have principles to govern our lives. No question about that. So what do we do with that? How do we stop from being a judge and still have those principles? And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time because here, here let me make this one point before, we, before I go into that. Judgment takes place really two ways. Judgment takes place when we start reading people's hearts and motives. 
We don't know their hearts and motives. You know, we don't. And what they did may be a horrible, horrible thing. But we don't know their hearts and motives. That doesn't mean that we don't forgive. That doesn't mean that we don't, aren't cautious. If you're a person who is a reformed pedophile, I'm going to love you and treat you with value and as a human being. You will not teach Sunday school. Is that a judgment? I don't, I don't necessarily think that. I think that's just wisdom, okay? Does that mean I don't forgive you? No, I forgive you, but I'm going to be careful. No, and and it's, it's that simple. I mean, when, when, when we start thinking through those kinds of things, all right? And, 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 and so judgment takes place when we start reading people's hearts and we start reading their motives, number one. Number two, <clears throat> judgment takes place when I autumn, and this is, this is where we really get off sometimes, those of us who are followers of Christ. Judgment takes place when I automatically label questionable activities as wrong. Now we're talking about things that, we're not talking about murder, we're not talking about adultery. Judgment takes place when there's some questionable activities. I'm, I'm not too sure about it. Automatically, boom, that's wrong. And we make those judgments immediately. And that can take place. And that's wrong. That's the wrong kind of joke. We, we don't know that. We can't say that. There are many things that the scriptures do not address. You know, and sometimes we'll see somebody who they got to, you know, and, and I tell you where it was in, in, in Vail when we lived there. You know, you, you we thank God for the second homeowners there because they really kept our church, uh, they, kept it, they kept it going fiscally, financially. Um, but every now and then, one of the second homeowners, and, and when you try, I saw a bunch of them at, at, at the prayer breakfast there in my mind, and, and uh, uh, every now and then a second homeowner buy a third home somewhere. And then oftentimes you would hear somebody say, I can't believe they bought a third home. And I'm thinking, hmm, that's interesting. Here I am, you know, just, you know, ministers aren't known for making a whole lot of money. We just, <laughs> we're just, we're, we're done. I do fine. I'm not complaining. But, I, but I'm sitting there thinking, okay, can you believe someone's bought a home now? They bought a home down in Mexico. And I'm like, okay, that's when judgment takes place, you see. Or can you believe they're expanding their, and I, I've heard this, can you, expanding, can you believe they're expanding their 10,000-foot vacation home to 15,000 square feet? Can you believe that? I'm like, okay, yeah. Maybe that's none of your business, you know. So judgment takes place in many ways. And so, you know, the Bible doesn't really address that, does it? You say, well, are they being a good steward of what they have? How, how, how can we know that? That's, their, that's between them and their maid and God. Well, maybe not giving up. That's between them and God. You know? So we start making these judgments on these questionable things, whether it be the extra time. I'll never forget, I have a friend. He's done very, very well. But he, he literally came, I mean, he started in the mailroom of his company. Now he's one of the partners. And, um, and, as, and, as, and he's one of those that has two or three homes now. But when he, he, it's a funny story. They were going to a church. And I, I don't want to say where it was because I don't want you to figure out who it is or anything. They were going to a church, you know, pretty decent church, middle class, maybe slightly upper middle class. And he, he began to do very well. He started in the mail room and he, he's a smart guy and he did these things and did these things, started, started making more money. And one of the first things he, he's kind of like me, he's kind of a car guy. And the, one of the first things he did was to go out and buy when he started making more money. And this isn't, a big deal to uh, many of you, but when I bought a new BMW, at that time, in that particular place, that was kind of a big deal. 
And the people, and I'll never forget listening to his wife tell us about it, the people in the church began this gossip thing about him because all of a sudden, oh, they can afford a BMW. And it's crazy how this stuff takes off. You know, that's a very minor little deal. So what I want you to see about this whole judgment thing, judgment is when we start thinking we know what's going on in their heart and their motivation. Judgment happens when we start making judgment on things that the Scripture is silent about. You know, Scripture is silent about. You know, we had a discussion one time in a theology class, I remember in school, what kind of car would Jesus drive? You know? And at the time, for economic purposes and just because I'm nuts, I had, I don't know if you remember this, I had a, I had a you ever hear of a Volkswagen thing? Remember those? Kind of like, like a little Nazi car or something? And, and, uh, and I liked it because it was cheap and you could take the doors off and you could take the top off and it was kind of cool. And I remember my professor saying, I don't know what kind of car Jesus would drive, but I know what he wouldn't drive. It's what Teeters is driving. But anyway, <laughs> it's an interesting discussion, but it's, there's no answer to that. Obviously, we start talking about what would, what would Jesus do in that type of thing. So that's judgment. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to just show you five real quick things. How do I keep from being a judge? After I read what Matthew says, what Jesus says in Matthew, how do I keep from being a judge? And I want to just, I'm going to just go blow through the first four because I want to hit number five the most. Number one, don't put your expectations on others. Just don't do that. Number two, don't criticize. Even the person that's clearly wrong, the person that killed her kids. Sad and as awful and as tragic as that is. There's so much that we don't know. I don't know. Is it wrong? Absolutely it's wrong. Is there mental illness? I'd, well, I hope so. You know, not, not literally hope. You understand what I mean by that. I mean, don't, we don't need to criticize. And you know, as bad as that is, let me tell you I was watching, the, she, you know, what's her name? She got off on some kind of a technicality on bail and is going into a mental hospital, which in my from what I don't know, it seemed to be the logical thing to do. But, but I was watching a TV commentator on this the other night, like, and, and, it just hit, and I, I was thinking about this, and all of a sudden he said, I agree with you, I think she should, be, she, she should fry. She should have fried a long time ago is the term that he used. And I just thought, boy, that sounds harsh. You know, and, and is that a judgment? You know, that's, that's something that that's, we, we need to be careful about. Doesn't mean that what happened was okay. I'm not saying that at all. But, but again, be careful with, with going further. Don't criticize. Treat all people with value. Treat all people with value. Even those that you may disagree with. Even the coach that's teaching your kid to do a two handed set shot. That's going back some, isn't it? Yeah. You treat all people with value. I don't know, maybe a two-handed set shot is still the way to go now. Is it? No, it's not. Okay, I got, I got the word from the authority there. Um, you treat all people with value. Number four, think of ways you can show an individual support without approving the behavior that you believe is wrong. You may not like what they do. They may be doing something that clearly is wrong. That clearly, they may be in an adulterous relationship. We know that's wrong. They may be lying. They may be doing some other things that clearly is wrong or in, that you believe is wrong. Maybe it's not as clear in Scripture, but you believe it's wrong. You still find ways to, to individually support that individual and show them love and show them grace. I mean, look at Jesus. I mean, he hung out with people who were drunks. He hung out with people who were 
can I say this? this is good. He hung out with people who were doing some of the quote-unquote Enron things of their day. People who were skimming off the top. He hung out with them. Didn't approve of what they did. But he, I mean, some of the tax... You know, tax, you know how a tax collector made his money in the first century? In Jesus' time? Actually, before the first century. You know, you know, how, you know how they did that? They would just hike up your taxes and take whatever they could take off the top. That was the way it was just... It was known as a corrupt business. And, and, and Jesus went and ate with some of those guys. And I'm sure there were some people who said, I can't believe he's hanging out with those bunch of people who, who just shafted people. And, you know, Jesus says, hey, the sick need the physician. And here's the fifth, the, the fifth thing that I want you to see. And this is, this, is, this is just huge. Remember, you answer for you. I mean, that's really all I need to say in that. You answer for you. You don't answer for everybody. You answer for you. Let me show you what Romans says. Romans 14. So where does that leave you when you criticize a brother? And where does that leave you when you condescend to a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly or worse. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by... Look at this. Kneeling side by side in the place of judgment facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. Read it for yourself in the Scriptures. And he quotes from the Old Testament. As I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will tell the honest truth that I and only I am God. So, now watch how he words this. This is the message. So, tend to your own knitting. (laughs) Tend to your knitting. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. Wow. It's a good verse for us to read every now and then, isn't it? Tend to your own stuff. You've got enough to deal with there. You know, and the key here, when we talk about raising children who have strong values, and that's really the theme here, the key is this, that, that old saying, the apple never falls too far away from the tree. We've heard that before. The apple never falls too far away from the tree. That is more true than ever when it comes to this particular principle. Are your kids judgmental? Do you hear things out of their mouth sometimes? And I realize, I realize at times kids might say things that they don't hear from home. But so many times they're a reflection of what they are at home. And when they're not, we need to correct it. Interesting story, when we moved to Vail, we first moved to Vail, and, 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 and while our kids were used to minorities, they weren't used to any, ever seeing uh, Latinos, Mexicans or, 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 or anybody of, of, of just brown skin color. And uh, the middle school in, in Vail, you have to, if you know the area, you've got to go through Minturn, which at, one, at the time that we lived there, when we moved there in 83, was pretty much solely a, a Latino community, for the most part Mexican. And, um, and I remember my son, fifth grade, saying, I want to go to school with no Mexicans. And I said, we don't talk like that. And furthermore, we don't believe that. We're all equal. I said, if you give it a chance, who knows? You might even become friends with some Mexican. Several years later, he's getting married. Other side of the country. One person, his best friend from high school, comes to the wedding. Who do you think it is? A young Mexican. A young Mexican. Young man. Ernie. That a great story. I love that. And I would remind my son of that, Dad. 
being ashamed, of course, of what he said as a fifth grade. Sometimes we have to say, hey, son, daughter, that's not the way it is. They didn't learn that from us. That's why we're there. That's why we're there. And let me just show you this last thing. Last thing. All of the stuff. You don't know what to do. You say, well, I got this situation. I don't know what to do exactly. And this kid here, this person here, this friend of mine in work, this friend of mine that I work with, you know, whatever it happens to me. What, I don't know what to do. Okay, here's, the, here, here's our default mode right here. If I could talk computer talk for me. Here's our default mode right here. You want to know what it is? Here we go. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, talking about Jesus, with his reply, they thought up a fresh question of their own to ask him. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Watch this. Watch this, folks. All the other commandments, this is Jesus talking, all the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. That's our default mode. I don't know what to do. Maybe you want to just love them as your neighbor. That's it. And may God and only God give you the ability to do that. Let me pray as I pray, guys, in the band. Come on up. God, we are, grateful for, we are grateful for the truth that we have here, and we pray that we would live it. And, Lord, it's not easy. It's not easy. With the different scenarios that we are faced with, on a, on a, if not daily, certainly on a weekly basis. And I pray, God, that we would see everything through this last passage that you said for us so many years ago that it's all about loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We pray for wisdom. We pray for strength. And God, I don't think we can do it outside of a relationship with you. And I pray for that for each one of us. We thank you that Jesus makes that possible, that he came and and lived and, and suffered and died and went to the tomb and rose again and lives now and says you can have a relationship with God and you can have the power that you need on a daily basis, and only way you can have the power that you need to do and love the way we're supposed to love and to, and, to, and to have the wisdom that we need to have when we have a relationship with you. We thank you for that. We thank you for what you've done and made that possible for us. And we thank you for that in the name of our Savior Jesus, whom, whom we pray. Amen.